Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 160. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Thomas. Hello. If you're new, great to have you with us and welcome to the Map Bites family. Map Bites is a tech podcast where we share our thoughts on tech news, Apple Kit and so much more. We also review apps and as IT professionals, we share both our love for hardware and software together with our complete unbiased derision for what deserves it. We're not sponsored in any way, so you can be sure that what we say is what we really think. As we like to say, we're probably not on Apple's Christmas card list. If you'd like to support us in what we do, keeping us completely independent, visit mapbytes.co.uk and hit the donate button. And I must say a huge thank you to all those who did just that after show 159. We were blown away by your support and generosity. Thank you. We even had a suggestion that we provide a way to donate on a monthly basis. We're working on it. Safe to say it's more tricky than it should be, but we're working on it. And if you're new and visiting the MacBytes site, while you're there, you might want to check out the newbies guide to MacBytes. It's a guide to the last 14 plus years of fun and games on MacBytes, together with an explanation of all the in-jokes and more. In fact, it'll be 15 years in only a few days on the 8th of October. In honour of the new kit Apple announced at the last event, the story I've picked from the newbies guide for you this week is Backlight Bleedgate from 2011. Take a read of why I was nesting buried under a pile of clothes in the Liverpool One Apple store, when all we were doing was trying to buy an iPad. Would that that was as simple as it should have been. But before we get on with the show, I'll just mention our in-studio chums, the series. Because if I don't mention them, they'll only introduce themselves. So MacBytes Siri joined us in October 2011 during another visit to the Apple Store in Liverpool, closely followed by Lady Siri when I bought an iPod Touch instead of an iPhone 5, as I recall. Cheapskate. I think the word you're groping for is frugal. Anyway, as I was saying, you don't want to miss their star turn at the end of every show. So now you know who everyone is, it's on with the show. In this episode, we'll be tackling the perennial problem of the persistent orange dot. So there I was looking into a Zoom meeting the other day and up came one of those capture things. It was one of those where you have to tick the boxes that contain a photo of a specific object. I've had fire hydrants, I've had bikes, but this one was tractors and it immediately reminded me of the last MacBytes show. Now, if you've not listened yet, I won't spoil the punchline. Go and have a listen. Links in the show notes. I'm sure we all recall the bad old days when Microsoft ruled the world. And being honest, they were a bit creepy about it. I thought those dark days were behind us. You know, with Bill moving on to control mind and body via a Covid jab and all that. But no, last month they managed to reach new depths of creepiness. Picture the scene. There I was minding my own business prepping for a live stream. I was contemplating cloud services you know, as you do. They are not all equal and increasingly they're in a state of flux, often to the point that you need to check everything you plan on showing is actually working, which was when it happened. I was using Dropbox as the main cloud storage. I was checking OneDrive as a backup option. I opened OneDrive in a browser. What's the absolute worst that could happen with that? I'm glad you asked. Pass the popcorn. I'm ready. OneDrive loaded, and above the file list, there was a message and two large images. 
The horror of what happened next meant I have no recollection of what the first of those images was or what it was there for. But the second image was where things started to head south. It was a rather cute photo of a German shepherd puppy licking the face of a man. I had no idea who he was, but judging by the image, my best guess would have been a police officer welcoming his new police dog to the force. It's the kind of image that I would have saved and shared with you, Mike. That photo had a message close by too. It said to the effect that it represented images from this week in years gone by. Well, obviously, you're going to be tempted to click through and reminisce, aren't you? I clicked the image. I was indeed greeted by images of that week in years gone by. OMG, what a mistake that was. There was me staring in the face, the last photograph I ever took of my then dying father. Long-time listeners may recall the horror of September 2013. After a two-year fight, my dad was losing his battle with cancer. I would say cancer of what, but it would be quicker to list where he wasn't riddled with it. He'd passed away only hours after this photograph was taken. Now, you might be wondering why I was taking a photograph when he was clearly so close to the end. Well, it was all to do with the medical so-called experts who repeatedly told us that he wasn't in need of hospice care, hospital care or any other kind of care, to be honest. They'd packed him off out of hospital and expected my 78-year-old mother, survivor of three strokes herself at that point, to take care of his every need. And yes, that included lifting him out of bed with no equipment. So the photo was in case the latest assessment visit concluded he didn't need any more help, as all the others had. And I hadn't seen that photograph since 2013. When I think of my dad, I think of a fit and healthy strapping man carrying me on his shoulders on holiday when I was a child. I think of him playing tennis with me. Basically, I think of him in his prime. His decline had been long and slow, so it sort of crept up on us all how frail he was at the end. To have this image foisted in front of me was shocking. A part of me knew it was stored in there somewhere, but I was hardly going to go and dig it out and view it for old time's sake. To have it foisted upon me with no warning stopped me in my tracks. I did not turn this feature on. I could not find a way to turn it off. Microsoft were praising themselves to the hilt for, and I quote, resurfacing my most treasured memories for me. <clears throat> which was when you appeared from the studio at the end of your working day. I vented. I know you did. And at some point, my ears might stop ringing. That could take a while. I got a volume warning when you started. It's just so stupid. We all keep photos we don't want reminding of. I shouldn't be forced to have to compress them into a password-protected archive to stop Microsoft from rifling through them and serving them up to me as entertainment. Think about what I was doing here. I was preparing for a demonstration. The photograph frightened the life out of me and I took it. I can only imagine what others would have thought if it had popped up in the middle of a demo. Anyway, I wasn't alone, was I? No, I did the Googles and other OneDrive users were kicking off almost as much as you. One person said, yes, I struggle to use OneDrive now as it keeps showing me photos of my dead family. A trauma that took years of therapy to get over. But now, every time I log into work, I'm a paying Office 365 subscriber, I'm greeted with very painful memories that deeply impact my mental health. 
This is an awful feature and is quite frankly abusive. I hate social media and I don't use it. I didn't expect Microsoft to turn a professional cloud service into a hurtful gimmick. My files are my files. My photos are my photos and I will look at them when I choose. Fix it please or I will be leaving your service. The good news was that one peeved punter had found a way to get rid of it. No, not with a kindly place turn this off option from Microsoft. Instead, he'd use the granular level controls of his ad blocker to nuke the offending part of the page. Now, I didn't expect our ad blocker to be quite so obliging, but with a little persuasion, it did the job. So a huge thank you to all those on the forum playing holy heck about this and those that came up with this workable solution. There's a danger that the only long-term option will be to only store photos that I don't want popping up at inopportune moments in a zipped archive that OneDrive can't rifle through. It's AI gone mad. They must live in a utopian world where there's nothing but butterflies and unicorns in their photo albums. Sadly, I live in the real world where things are less prone to being perfectly plastered in pixie dust. But, stop press, just as we started recording... I checked again, and I discovered Microsoft have come to their collective senses. They've added an option to disable the thing. Still with a default of on, though. And it's one of those options that you can tell by the look of it was a complete and utter afterthought. A bit like adding links in Affinity Publisher. Dialog box, not pretty, because it wasn't part of the original design, and this most definitely was not part of the original design. But hey, at least it's there now. So I can stop venting for five minutes. Yeah, in the uh, in the last show, we talked about watching films of an adult nature whilst in control of a vehicle. Well, the following day, I was just browsing the BBC News and I found a story about changes to the highway code. Now, if you're not from the UK, you probably won't know what the highway code is. Basically, it's a set of rules and guidelines for road users designed to promote safety. You get tested on it in your driving test and you're supposed to obey these rules when driving. The story says that 61% of drivers have not read some of the new updates to the code. <clears throat> I haven't read it since I passed my test, which was back when leg warmers were the height of fashion and flash dance was the number one movie. <clears throat> Probably shouldn't admit that, should I? I could sing, but I won't. Anyway, um, this new guidance wasn't about watching films of an adult nature, if you were wondering. Oh, doubtless that'll be in the next revision. This was about giving pedestrian cyclists and horse riders greater priorities on the road. But when I got to the end, there were some related articles, and one of them was about more changes to the highway code. Yes, watching TV is to be allowed, but only in self-driving cars. Under the new guidance, motorists should be ready to take control from an automated system when prompted, for example, when approaching a motorway exit. And experts have suggested that a vehicle can stop built-in screens display material unrelated to driving when the motorist is required to resume control. My mind is boggling, but do carry on. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I think content of an adult nature comes under material unrelated to driving, don't you? Absolutely. I don't know much about driverless cars, but according to the article, using mobile phones whilst driving will remain illegal. And apparently this is because there is currently no system that can automatically turn off handheld mobile devices. 
Also, users of self-driving cars won't be responsible for crashes. Instead, insurance companies, not individuals, will be liable for claims in many circumstances. The article ends by saying driverless cars promise a future where death and injury on our roads are cut significantly. Eventually, self-driving technology could improve road safety across Britain by reducing human error, which is a contributory factor in 88% of all recorded road collisions, the government said. That was already utterly ridiculous before you mentioned the fact the government had said it, in which case it's triply ridiculous. A car is a lethal weapon to you, to passengers, to other road users. And aren't people trying to limit screen time? While you're driving would be a very good time to start. And if there's a OneDrive app on your smart screen, well, let's just not go there, shall we? Seriously, you do need to concentrate. Way back in the day, I used to drive over 1,200 miles a week between home and university. University being in London and my job to pay for university being in Manchester. Sadly, 250 miles from each other. So it was fairly straightforward. I mean, you know how to get to London, don't you? Head south. I do. As simple Mm. as that. Just head south. You'll get on the A56, the M6 and the M1 and you'll be there. Simple as that. Then I'd get off the M1. I'd be on the North Circular to central London onto Kensington and Chelsea and reverse that for the trip home. The trip home was often at the end of a long day on a Saturday and alternate weeks that was in the football traffic as well. So it was a nightmare of a journey. Now, I'm going to mention a junction and and I can see Mike's face and I know what his reaction is going to be. Junction 19 of the M6 at Knutsford is, shall we just say, badly designed. It's badly designed because it's far too close to the slip road for Knutsford services and it's easily missed. Yes, I did miss it on one very memorable occasion, which meant I had no alternative but to exit at Junction 20, which is a tiny little village called Lim. And it's such a small place, you can't actually get back on the motorway and head back to Junction 19. The only option is a scenic, circuitous trip through the villages that time forgot on a 10 mile detour to get back to where I needed to be. But at least I was familiar with the area, having lived in one of those villages of the damned for two years. But it'd only take one wrong turn with a driverless solution and you'd be in a ditch with nothing but a pitchfork wielding local for company. And then there's the motorway exit near us, Junction 8 of the M60. When I used to go into work, coming home, this is the exit that I would leave the motorway. It's just a couple of miles from home, but on more than one occasion, I miss the junction. Yes, I was concentrating on the road ahead and what was behind me, so I was being a good boy, but not concentrating enough to realise that my exit was coming up. In theory, it's simple enough to get home. The next exit is just about another mile, so I'd leave the motorway at Junction 9, which is the famed Trafford Centre exit, get back on the motorway going in the other direction and exit the southbound Junction 8 or the northbound Junction 8. All told, it's only about four miles added to the journey, but it's not something to be done in rush hour traffic where those four miles can take about 30 minutes. To be honest, that's not your fault. It's another absolutely appallingly designed junction. Because these exits are so close to each other, if you think about it, you've got the water park, you've got Sale, you've got Stretford, you've got Carrington. They are literally all on top of one another. So 
you're coming off about three miles before you need to, to be fed into an intermediate lane, to be fed into another one, to be fed into another one. It's not surprising that you miss it before you know it. You're in Bolton. Just, it's just really badly designed. But you mentioned rush hour traffic. I well recall mum dragging dad out on Christmas Eve for last minute shopping, according to her, just to torture him, according to dad. And he was in a foul mood, not helped when he missed the exit for the next shop. They ended up stuck in a traffic jam for three hours. <laughs> I mean, that would be bad enough at any time. But Christmas Eve with my mother confined to the to the tiny space of a car. It really couldn't have been much worse. Oh, and while we're talking about what could possibly go wrong, bearing in mind when they talk about driverless cars, it's humans that are programming them. Do you remember that almost catastrophic running with the idiot at the most dangerous roundabout in the area? Not likely to forget it, am I? No, no. The said roundabout is dangerous because it's got so many entrances and exits, it's almost impossible to be in the correct lane at the correct time. Even if you know what you're doing and where you should be, you've got no chance of getting there because everybody else is completely clueless and they're in your way. So our plan with this roundabout has always been, I'd navigate it and tell Mike which lane to pull into and when. And I was about to issue the move to the next lane instruction when this imbecile came flying towards us, going the wrong way. How in heaven's name she had managed to get to where she actually was without killing herself or anybody else is completely inexplicable. We missed her by millimetres. And all of this was before they decided to allow folks to watch TV while they're driving. I'm never leaving the house again. O.M.G. Don't say things like that. Not without some kind of warning. We can't not mention the far-out Apple event. Got to be done. Actually, the fun started well before the event. There was an announcement that Brazil were demanding the return of the iPhone charger. You'll doubtless recall Timmy deemed it prudent, financially prudent, to remove said charger. So before the event had even started, Timmy had had a Brazilian. There's an image. No. Do not search for a photo of that one. I'd never recover. There was actually another pre-event image that I seriously didn't want to consider. Apparently, there's a healthy market in second-hand AirPods Pro. Hmm. Would you sell your old AirPods Pro? I need to know these things. A more probing question, of course would be, would you buy second-hand AirPods Pro? I doubt it's possible to get them 100% clean. So, it would be a no from me then. Anyway, we moved on with our MacBytes Live. An absolute blast as ever and great fun to share it with you all. If you joined us, thank you. If not, there's always next time. Well, I missed the event, although I have since watched it on demand. And there's an hour and a half of my life I'll never get back. I was attending a three-day online conference called My Data Summit. It wasn't all about Excel. As the name suggests, the theme was data. Yes, there were presentations about Excel, but also Power BI, PowerPoint and other apps and services related to data. It was actually organised by two guys in the global Excel community who are based in Azerbaijan, which for anyone who doesn't know, and I had to look it up, is in Eastern Europe. 
Because of the time difference, each day started at 6am UK time and ended at 6pm UK time. Except for the last day, which finished at 7 o'clock because they added an extra speaker to the programme at the last minute. And then I was invited to the after party, which meant I didn't join the MacBiters until well after the Apple event was over. But you were all still chatting away in the MacBytes room, so although I missed the event, I didn't miss the important part of the night. I think I came in just as you were talking about cycles. I assumed you were talking about getting fit. I should have known better. Is it me, or does the Apple Watch come across as some sort of period tax? There's an idea to me. Give every woman a free watch so that they can track their cycles. And then, of course, there was the Apple Watch Ultra. I think that was a deliberate marketing decision, given that Ultra, certainly in the UK, is a brand name for sanitary products. The only other thing that came out of this same old, same old event was the car crash detection. Now, where the relevance to that is, is I think about how many times I've actually looked at my phone and seen the you are driving message, when in actual fact, I've been wheeling a trolley around Tesco. Well, obviously, I haven't seen that message in the past two and a half years, seeing as I've not left the confines of MacBytes headquarters. But before that, many, many times. Can you imagine the police and ambulance turning up at Tesco and you getting an alert that I've been involved in an accident, when in reality, all that happened was that my trolley wheel caught the corner of the shelf in the dog food aisle? Oh, the cycle thing was all too much for me. The way Apple pitched the procreation thing, I seriously wonder how anybody managed to reproduce without Timmy there to lend a hand. Yet another image I do not need to see. Me neither. People have managed for centuries without turning their, um, activities of an adult nature into some kind of cross between a gamified sci-fi experiment and a scheduled bout of high-intensity interval training. So... Can we skip over that part of the show before I'm forced to find a bucket? Excellent. Hopefully, we'll never have to hear anything about that ever again. Let's move on to the prize for the sales pitch of the entire event, which had to be the Dynamic Island. The reactions I saw were either it's complete genius or it's a twisted deceit. There was literally nothing in between in my Twitter timeline. It became the marmite of the whole event. You either loved it or you loathed it. Me? I've not tried it, so I'll reserve judgment. But I can't say it swayed me to dash out and buy one. I did think I'd be buying the new watch. Not the Scalar Mountain and Flauncher Fitness Edition, obviously. But in the end, I decided I couldn't face the trials and tribulations of pairing and unpairing, standing on one leg, whistling dandy, all while encanting the tech gods. So I sagely told myself, there'll be another new one next year. So all of that meant nothing new incoming at MacBytes headquarters. But that's not strictly true. I'll do what I usually do when we're not giving Apple copious amounts of cash for new toys. I'll buy a new iPhone case, a new watch strap and change the wallpaper on my iPhone. It'll feel brand new and cost less than £10. Jonathan went one better and treated himself to a new Apple watch. 
Even better than that, he did an unboxing video for our viewing pleasure. It's fabulous. Link in the show notes. Seriously, don't miss it. Not only do you get to admire his new tech toy, but there's also his dining room furniture to admire. Seriously, it's beautiful. Wouldn't work at MacBytes headquarters, though, but still. Why not? It's glass. So one, we'd have to be considerably more careful than we usually are. But two, Lola's bad enough when we're eating to start with. But letting her see every move while it's happening would just be too much torment for her. Johnny didn't stop there either. After the initial unboxing, he then provided another unboxing for our viewing pleasure. AirPods Pro 2 this time. So don't miss those. As I say, the link is in the show notes. Enjoy. Anyway, the biggest of the night wasn't for something from Apple. No, it was something Graham found. A gorgeous dock for the 24-inch iMac. Available in blue and silver, it's absolutely perfect. In fact, it's just what Apple should have designed as standard. It fits over the leg and provides a huge range of additional options for your Mac. It adds extra connectivity to your iMac for all those peripherals Apple seem completely ignorant of you using. There's a USB-C data port, a USB-A data port, two USB-A2 ports, micro SD card slot reader, SATA enclosure for more hard drives even. It's genius. It's actually the same size as the standard Apple keyboard, which hmm, is no good for me because I use a keyboard with a numerical keypad. But it doesn't stop me appreciating the aesthetic of it. And all for only $149. Although from memory, I think the international postage was hmm, obscenely expensive. But nicely done, Graham. I do hope Santa deposits one in your Christmas stocking. In fact, I wouldn't say no if he deposited one in mine. But he would have to deposit the iMac with it. Not that I'd object to that either. So I'm going to watch this space with my fingers firmly crossed. We have a potential sun setting. It's on the brink. It's a buyout. It's Figma. What's Figma? It's a collaborative web application for interface design with additional offline features enabled by using the desktop app for Mac and Windows. It's actually been around longer than I thought when I started looking into it. It was initially released in September 2016. And as I say, not only Mac and Windows, but it also supports Linux, Chrome OS, Android and iOS. Its major allure, it's free. Its major flaw, it's free. So what happened? Oh, it's a buyout, baby. Adobe ride in and take over. I know what you're thinking. Hasn't this happened before? Oh, indeed it has. And more than once. One of the biggest buyouts you may recall was Adobe's purchase of Macromedia back in 2005. More recently, they've purchased Frame.io. I'm always tempted to call that Frameio, but I don't know if that's a thing or not, so I'll leave it alone. They also bought Behance. Now, you may be surprised to learn that way back in the day, Adobe actually bought Photoshop. Photoshop was created by brothers Thomas and John Knoll in 1987, and they sold the distribution license to Adobe back in 1988. 
So going back to the macromedia thing, did it end well? <laughs> Are you kidding? It was a disaster. Adobe swallowed Flash whole. That went well, didn't it? Hindsight's a wonderful thing. The trouble was they killed freehand. They also killed the community that Macromedia had built. I was a user group manager for Adobe back in the day, and it was a program that they'd inherited from Macromedia, including the staff running it, who were brilliant. Um, let's just say Adobe tolerated the community for a while. They even tried to build a few hive mind apps to manage it, but ultimately it just didn't work and it was then let wither on the vine. Safe to say it's pretty much got a stake through its heart now. So what are Adobe's plans for Figma? They haven't really confirmed anything yet beyond the usual. Nothing will change. No, of course it won't. However, the Figma community are not pleased. But do those users only have themselves to blame? Because any company must generate revenue, at least in the long term. In the short term, things aren't so clear cut these days. Companies seem to be able to run on thin air for years, or at least until the angel investors decide it's time for some return on their investment. So if you're using an app for free, you're leaving yourself wide open to facing its demise. The extent of the self-righteous entitlement is palpable from the comments that greeted this news. Maybe that's the point they'll realise that while they haven't lost any money, they've lost something far more valuable and that's time. The time that they've taken to learn the app, create workflows, create assets, and all of that before we get on to creating final artwork. Taking each of those in turn, you'll need more time now to learn a new app. The workflows will doubtless need adjusting. You'll need to recreate your assets. Will you be able to open work files in the future? If not, at best they'll need converting and at worst they'll need recreating. But, and here's the big issue, will that stop you investing more of your valuable time in the next free big thing? If you find something useful or valuable, seriously, think about taking a paid option or at least making a donation because it could make all the difference in that app being there in the future when you really need it. But as I've said, the official line is currently nothing's going to change until it does, of course. Adobe XD is the nearest app that Adobe have to Figma right now. And that was born out of the most awesome app that Adobe bought from Macromedia, which was Fireworks. That was a graphics app so dedicated to the creation of web graphics, it didn't even have a print command. <laughs> those were the days. XD is already virtually in maintenance mode, according to those in the know, because most of the team have been moved elsewhere and it's now being maintained by a tiny team. So, shall we give it a year before we see some sleight of hand in the nothing's going to change department? Oh, I think so. I had intended to update to Monty on both my iMacs during our week's holiday at the end of August, but life got in the way, so they're still both on Biggles. Interestingly, at work, they're almost ready to allow Mac users to upgrade from Biggles to Monty after months and months of testing, just as Ventura comes out. I had no intention of doing the full Monty thing. For which we were all very grateful. Don't be cheeky. Needless to say, the usual happened. Everything slowed down to a crawl on Biggles. And I bowed to the inevitable. In the small hours on Mike's birthday, 
I set about the long process of backing up data. It actually took an age to transfer all the data off the Macintosh HD. And it's so slow when you're transferring it to those larger non-SSD drives. So fast forward two hours and I was ready to go. It started to download the installer. It wasn't too bad until it got stuck at 39 seconds for what felt like the best part of a week. Apple Minutes ride again. But at 2.16am, the computer restarts and I offer up a prayer to the gods of tech. It all went alarmingly swimmingly. No, seriously, it did. By 2.38, all done. 22 minutes. I've installed patches on Biggles that took three times that long. 22 minutes. I know, I wasn't at all sure it wasn't lying to me either, but it really was done. And contrary to previous experiences, I only got two little snotogram messages. It was about two legacy extensions, Hindenburg and Parallels. I assume by the time I'm even contemplating Ace Ventura Pet Detective OS, those issues will have been relegated to the annals of history. So I headed off to investigate. First thing I stumbled across, a shared folder on iCloud. Why would anybody want that? OneDrive has had that set up for a while, although we probably shouldn't mention OneDrive, should we? <clears throat> anyway, this shared folder, it's hideous because you can't find a thing. Any files shared with you are in that shared folder. But I would want a file where it should live with related files, not in a shared silo based solely on the fact that the file is shared. Even Google Drive has introduced this nonsense. But they've augmented it with shortcuts. The trouble with shortcuts is they're actually difficult to move. And when you think about it, moving shortcuts, that's the entire point of them. Anyway, while I was muttering bad words regarding all that, the fun really started. The mouse thing. It worked great if that's what you really want. I didn't. If you're wondering, it's the universal control thing. You should see my desk during an average workday. Multiple devices, all doing different jobs. I need to be able to predict what will happen when I move my mouse on my Mac, not have Apple decide for me. I spend most of my day recording my screen and the last thing I need is for the mouse to hop off and have some fun on my iPad instead. So off to Google it was to work out how to turn it off. Links in the show notes. Almost catastrophic to my workflow was the discovery that one of my critical Alfred workflows was no longer working. I've used a workflow in Alfred called Get App Icon for years. Does one thing, does it well. It extracts the icon from any application installed on the Mac. And it's one of those workflows I appreciate every single day, but even more so when it breaks and you're faced with life without it. Luckily, I found an update posted only hours before I went looking for it. That was a close shave. Anyway, that was back in August. Turned out to be the hottest night of the year. I don't recommend upgrading your OS on the hottest night of the year. Seriously, it was somewhere in the 30s and that was at two o'clock in the morning. Then I had to head off to research how to convince the processes to sedate themselves because some were running absolutely wild. Mainly the spotlight update that always runs when you update your OS. Eventually, it all calmed down and that only left the long term annoyances. Mm, the perennial problem of the persistent orange dot. There's an orange dot and it indicates that something is accessing the microphone. 
The trouble was nothing was accessing the microphone and the orange dot refused point blank to vanish. I could get it to move if I actually did open something that was using the microphone. But once I closed that app, the orange dot moved to the very top right hand corner of the screen. I did find a potential solution, but it's a very dirty hack involving the terminal. Finally, I found a way to beat it into submission with a virtual stick. I needed to force quit the core audio D process via Activity Monitor. What had happened was Camtasia had opened, hooked itself into the microphone, the orange dot appeared, and then Camtasia took to crashing repeatedly. Don't ask, that was an entirely different bag of hurt. But it meant that it didn't successfully release the microphone and the orange dot persisted. Force quitting the Core Audio D process reset the orange dot to its correct place. Until the next crash, obviously. But Monty is in the MacBytes house. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Please send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. What on earth is that noise? What noise? That noise. Are you deaf? Oh, you mean my chime directory? What is a chime directory? A directory of chimes, of course. That doesn't actually tell me a lot. Well, I was eavesdropping on the far out Apple event and heard something interesting. What was it? Timmy is giving us the ability to make a noise as we boot up. She's going to love it. I don't think she will you know. I was being sarcastic. Oh right, I get you now. So what chime are you considering? Something subtle and inoffensive? Oh no, something loud and disgustingly objectionable. She will absolutely hate it. I know, it's great isn't it? Thank you Timmy. Before you get yourself too excited, there is something you should know. Don't be bothering me now woman, I'm having too much fun. You'll need to know this though. Go on then. I hate to tell you this. Tell me what? They're not upgrading this year. They're what? They're not upgrading this year, so you'll be mute on startup until at least 2023. Oh, that one is perfect for your predicament.